and I need you to put your helmets on. Not that you don't normally, but I think today with the message before us, especially in light of where we are as a, a world, as a country, so on and so forth, there's just so much evil going on in the world, uh, tyrannical governments wanting to force people to do things, and that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today, is when rebellion is obedience. When rebellion is obedience. Which I don't think is too much of a foreign concept for you guys here, is it? We're sort of rebellious. When it comes to certain things, obey the Lord, but when it comes to certain things that the government might say, you'll find that we don't just do what they say uh, very often. And you'll see why today. I hope to give you the reason for why this is true. So let's pray before we get into the message. Father, we need you by your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us through this message today. For me to even be able to articulate it in any way that makes sense is totally gonna be dependent upon you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I have nothing in and of myself to say. Lord, without your scripture, I literally have nothing. But today as we pair your scriptures together, with where we are today in the world, I pray that it would make sense and that we would be able to live accordingly. So we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you're gonna open up to Daniel chapter six. That's gonna be our main text today. And we're gonna be flipping back and forth between a few others, so keep your finger there. And uh, in opening, Warren Wiersbe in his book, The Integrity Crisis, quoted Peter T. Forsyth, and he said he was right when he said the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And this is very true. Didn't uh, Bob Dylan write, everybody's gotta serve somebody in one of his famous songs? Everybody's gotta serve somebody, and you do serve somebody, whether that's your flesh, uh, or your spouse, or your children, or your job, whatever you allow to take the throne of your heart, if you will, becomes your master. In this sense, and today we're looking at, are we going to allow God to be on the throne of our hearts or are we going to allow government to take that place? Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. While this is certainly true of your will and your life on a daily basis as an individual, it's also true of a nation. When a nation begins to put man in the place of God, they begin to elevate a government or a position or a leader puts themselves in the place of God, we have a problem. And today we're gonna see throughout the scripture various believers who at the right times and in the right way stood up and absolutely rebelled against their government when their government told them not to do something or to do something that was against what the scripture teaches. So this is an amazing story we have before us in Daniel chapter 6. The historical setting is that the Jews were taken captive because they were going through this cycle of worshiping false gods. As a nation, they would come to the place where finally God, through hundreds of years of warning them by the prophets that they needed to repent, absolutely refused to return to God. And so he warned them that he would allow the Babylonians to come in and besiege them, which had in fact happened at this time in this passage that we're reading. And they were under occupation of the Babylonians. 
Nebuchadnezzar being king, and then later King Darius, who is just who we are seeing Daniel under at this time, which is our first point. We look at the rebel, which is Daniel. Daniel the rebel. It says in verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be governor over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought of setting him over the whole realm. Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault. Let's pause there just for a quick moment. They could find no speeding tickets. Daniel rode his donkey at the speed limit at all times. If he was on a chariot, he wouldn't have let it race at 50 through a 25. He had no unpaid parking tickets. He didn't have anything that they could look. If, if they were required to pay taxes, Daniel paid all of his taxes. Didn't Jesus say, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's? You know what the real key is? Not rendering more than you need to. And that's why you need to have a good tax person. <laughs> so that you don't pay more taxes than you need to pay and you can get some money back. It's great when the government owes you. Don't you wish you could make the government pay you immediately? Yes. Like, you know, they would come seize your house. Don't you wish you could seize some government stuff if they didn't pay you back on time? <laughs> don't we have a right as citizens of this country to demand account for where our taxes are going and what are, they, what are they being used to fund, right? So as you're driving down the freeway and you notice potholes or you're popping tires because, you know, the roads are so bad, don't you have a right to, to call up the state of California and say, what are you doing with the money that's, that I'm paying for you to use the roads? Oh, oh, sorry, we're using that money to ship people here from other states to get sex changes. Excuse me? Oh, you don't have any right to tell us what to do with the money. We have absolutely every right, because not only do we pay our taxes, we also vote, right? So Daniel did everything what was right and above board, and so look at what they, they decide. They could find no fault or charge concerning the laws of the land, because he was faithful, nor were there, was there any error or fault found in him. So they said, verse 5, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it concerning the law of his God. So then what are they determined to do? They're determined to make a law that will directly violate Daniel's relationship with his God so that they think, okay, we'll get him to disobey his God. They probably knew there's no way he's going to do this. And so therefore, we will have reason to accuse him. Remember, they're looking for a reason to accuse him. So they're going to make a law in regards to his God. Daniel was 80 years old. This was about 539 BC. He had been taken captive at the young age of 16 in about 605 BC. Now think about it. Him and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were teenagers, young men when they were taken captive, and they stood against all the evils of the kingdom of that day. Daniel was a faithful man. Turn to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, 1. The key to Daniel being a faithful man was his relationship with God in heaven. That was Daniel's strength. It wasn't that, you know, Daniel got up every morning, did 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, took cold showers, 
you know, or anything like that. Daniel was a faithful man because he loved and feared the God of heaven above all. And he didn't allow any other fear to drive him other than a right, reverent fear of the Lord. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Notice at this point that whatever Daniel did prospered. Why? Because he did all of what Psalm 1 says. He meditated in the law day and night. He was in God's word. Maybe he checked the news, but not before he consulted God's word. Everything for Daniel was in its rightful place. And as a result of doing good, he was going to be persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. And I want you to circle the word falsely for my sake. Falsely for my sake. It's not true, nor should it be true. If they are defiling you or reviling you as an evildoer and it's true, you're not blessed. If you go around calling people names or you're just an ornery sort of person that's always mean to people and the enemy comes and says, hey, look at this guy over here, or some employee at work says, look at that Christian over there and how awful they are, and you are actually awful, and then your, you know, your boss comes to you and starts uh, reprimanding you for it, you can't say, oh, I'm, being, I'm blessed because I'm being reviled. <laughs> no, you're receiving what you should receive because you're ornery. But if you're doing what's right before the Lord, and then the enemy attacks you, you're blessed. Do you see? So, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for his sake. And by the way, you may not go into your job place wearing a I love Jesus shirt or I'm a Christian. You don't walk in yelling praise the Lord brother, you know, or something like that. Just know that even though there's no external way of someone knowing that you're a Christian, the fact that you are a Christian, you're filled with the spirit of the living God. When you walk on the property, you walk into that building place, when you walk into Costco, for crying out loud, you are a beaming light, a beaming light everywhere you go. People will either love you or hate you. To one, you're the smell of death, and to one, you're the smell, a sweet smell of aroma leading to life. They won't know why. They'll just be around you, and you'll, you'll irritate them, and they won't understand it. The reality is, it's because of Jesus. So when you go to work, and you don't get up, and you preach Jesus, you know, stand on a a soapbox or something like that, if they even have those anymore, they're probably cardboard, you probably would fall down anyways, but, <laughs> you know, when you go into the, the job and you don't say anything like that, but they're still, they're still persecuting you, it's because the enemy knows that you're a believer and he'll rile people up against you. And by the way, just a little side note, if you're gonna preach Jesus at your workplace, do it on your break time, after work or before work, don't do it during company time when you're being paid to perform you know, a duty or whatever. Do it in off time. I know a lot of Christians, they don't understand whether they're being persecuted at the job site because they're witnessing on company time. And I would say they have every right to expect that you would say that outside of work or not on work time. But on your break time, it's your, your break time. If people want to ask you questions, say, I'd be happy to answer your question. Well, let's go get lunch together or let's talk after work. Something like that. So you're not putting them off 
but there's a way to do it, and that's the way to do it right. Turn to 1 Peter 2.20. Kind of along the same vein here. 1 Peter 2.20. Peter says, what credit is it if, when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? There's no credit in that. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously." who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Look down at chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and we'll look at verse 14. He says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So look, you're at work and someone starts, hey, that person over there, they're a Christian, or whatever, or you're a student going to school, you know, and, and your teacher's maligning you in the class. Don't get all sad over it. We're supposed to be happy. Isn't that crazy? Yay, I'm getting persecuted for Jesus. Remember when the disciples were beaten and they went out singing? They were like, yeah, we got beat up for Jesus. It's like, I don't know about you, but when I see, uh, like, for example, online, there's people out uh, in front of abortion clinics or whatever, and they have pro-life signs, and someone comes and they grab the sign and they start trashing it. My flesh wants to say, punch him in the back of the head. (laughs) Hit him with the sign. But those people don't react that way. They're just, like one was following the person around the corner just saying, the Lord bless you, the Lord bless you, the Lord bless you. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I could do that. I'm mean, like, the Lord smite you, the Lord smite you, the Lord smite you. <laughs> it's not an easy thing when you realize, hey, th- that this is because of Jesus. But when we take things personally is when we get into trouble. We make it about us. And we forget it's about Jesus. Let's not forget that this is about Jesus. Coming to church, this is about Jesus. Living as a Christian in the world, it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about, oh, I'm a Christian now. Let me see how many followers I can get. I'm going to have a social media, me drinking coffee and posting my Bible verses and sitting in weird poses. And <laughs> I'm an influencer now, you know? <laughs> Daniel chapter 6. Let's look at the tyranny. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king. And said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Oh, king, oh, you're so great. Oh, have you seen the sign we made? Hashtag King Darius. And we're all going to put it on our donkeys and we're going to ride around town. And they're like sucking up. Verse 7, look at this. Is all a lie here? All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. (gasps) Now hurry up and sign it. Don't think about it too long. Hurry up, sign it. Come on, right here. We got the pen. We got the paper. All of us agree. And King Darius does something 
later on he will regret, and that is he signed it without confirming that all of them were in agreement. If you're a supervisor and somebody comes to you and says, everybody says, don't just listen to everybody says. Is that's what the enemy uses or people who want to bend you to their way. Well, everybody says. It's the same thing with the world around us, right? All the science says. I love what Frank Turek says. He says, science doesn't say anything scientists do. Hmm? It's an interpretation or misinterpretation of the facts. You know, like a few years back, for example, when we had a mask mandate and we were told that it was the science, we need to follow the science. Remember all that stuff? Big words were being used. Science, doctor, Dr. Fauci, <laughs> Dr. Seuss. You better wear it, you super spreaders. And if you don't wear it, you hate people. You want people to die. You're like, no, actually, I hadn't really thought that far into it. I just want to be able to breathe. And remember, there was a lot of science saying masks didn't and wouldn't work. How dare you? Snopes says... The fact checkers have stated, and that's the world we live in now. You can't post anything really true on your social media because you will be fact checked. And the fact checkers are the ones that determine reality. Well, these guys were no different during Daniel's day. They were the exact same spirit, and they were out for Daniel. They didn't like the idea that Daniel would be elevated to a place that would be actually over them. So they decided, we're going to do everything we can to trap Daniel, and the only way to do so is by making a law that violates his relationship with his God. And just as a side note, I want you to remember, a tyrant's gonna do what a tyrant's gonna do. A tyrant's gonna do what a tyrant's gonna do. Tyranny is not new to our world. Satan is the leader of tyranny and rebellion against God. I want to be on the right side of the correct rebellion. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, we see this same move against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the accusation to Nebuchadnezzar was that they had not paid due regard. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image that you have set up. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 3, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Notice, they couldn't take him by the truth. He had done no wrong. He broke no law. Remember going back to even the taxes. Jesus says, who do these people pay taxes? Look at the inscription on the coin. Whose inscription is it? Caesar's. Then render to Caesar what Caesar's and God what's God's, right? And he says, lest we offend them. And he sent Peter fishing for his tax money. Which makes me think, Lord if I was to go fishing next week, could you just help me out? <laughs> Acts chapter 17, verse 5. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some evil men from the marketplace, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring out the people. This is ancient Antifa. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren, the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and all these are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So lies are used against the children of God in an effort to attack. Things are said about you or us or the truth. You're racist. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a this. You're a that, right? And and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, The funny thing about the racist comments is that you could be accused of racism and you're like, I don't have any racism in my body. Oh, yes, you do. You have microaggressions. You don't even know it. You have microaggressions. And I'm like, no. If someone cuts me off on the freeway, it doesn't matter what color they are. They could be purple. I still get upset. I don't want to be cut off on the freeway. So the reality is, is that there are lies used to silence you. That's what it's all about. Because you say, oh, I, I don't want to be... I don't want to be a racist. So if, if that makes me a racist, well, then I won't say it anymore because I don't want to be a racist. Okay, let's just make something clear. There are things that are racism, clearly. And the funny thing is, is the people calling people racist are the most racist people and have the biggest microaggressions on the planet. They're the most unsensitive people to, to the races, well, race of this planet or nationalities of people that live on this planet. California, wanting to limit the amount of ammunition Californians can buy. You ever pay attention to this stuff? So like the capacity, uh, they say if you have a gun, you can only have 10 bullets in your gun. They would like to make it like one bullet. You can have one bullet in your gun if you go shooting. But So you could have 10, and if you have 11, you are in major violation of the law. So then they, they make these kinds of laws and then somebody will come along and say, that's unconstitutional, you can't do that. So the state of California is always finding a way, just like the British did, right? Oh, we'll tax paper. Take their gunpowder. Oh, they can have their guns, just take all the bullets, right? The, the British did the same thing. So they made a, a law, or, or background checks for buying ammunition. They used a racist law, an actual racist law to justify they're taxing and overtaxing is what they're doing. Overtaxing and limiting your ability to buy ammunition. Isn't that funny? They used a really racist law. I watched a video on it yesterday. I was shocked. I had no idea. And I'm just scrolling through, you know, and then it's like, well, what's this all about? And so I was like, this is insane. The same people who will sit and call you a racist because you love Jesus are the same people, in fact, doing things that are actually racist. But you might be tempted to sit back and not say anything because you don't want to be labeled a racist. So all these things are things that they will do because, again, a tyrant's going to do what a tyrant's going to do. And they will lie, cheat, and steal. They do not care about keeping the, the law or doing what's right. Now, let's look at the rebellion to tyranny, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And notice it says, as was his custom since early days. He didn't just do this like, oh, they said I can't pray. Oh, I'll show them. I'll go open my windows and I'll pray. I'll pray loud. I'll get a megahorn and I'll pray and the whole city will hear it. He didn't do that. As was his custom. He went up and he knelt down and he prayed. 
Then the men assembled, found Daniel praying. Why? Because they were watching. They made a law, knowing what Daniel would do. He's going to go home and pray. We'll just make it about his God. You can pray to no God except for King Darius. That's how we'll get him. And they were right. Because they knew exactly what Daniel would do. They knew that he would disobey it. If they thought for one second he would obey it, they would have made a different law. Do you understand this? The law was made for Daniel to disobey it. And they knew that. So to blindly say Christians are supposed to obey all laws that government makes is really not thinking this through, okay? And that's a nice way of saying you're not using the brain that God gave you. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God as was his custom. Then the men assembled, found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Rebellion is obedience when you obey God rather than men. Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin said rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Now I quoted both because both actually said it at some point in time. And nobody knows who said it before them. We only know that Franklin is the one who struck the seal that said rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. William Penn stated, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. St. Augustine said, an unjust law is no law at all. An unjust law is no law at all. So knowing that the law had been signed and it would directly affect his freedom to pray, he chose to deliberately disobey the law. It was his custom, and he wasn't going to miss a day of prayer. Could Daniel have shut the windows and prayed anyways? Yep. But then would they have known? No. So what he did was an act of defiance, and he let him see it. Just like when all the children bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, they're all bowing down, and you see these three guys in the back, and the king's like... This is great, man. Look at all these guys bowing down. Wait a minute. Excuse me, King. Get the binoculars. Is that three guys I see over there? (laughs) Who are those three guys? Call for them and bring them over here. More on that in just a moment. So they disobeyed a command to bow, to worship the gold image Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Turn to Daniel 3.15. They're threatened. They're given this opportunity. They're called forward and given the opportunity to bow. Okay, when you hear the music, the band's going to play. When you hear the music, you go ahead and you bow down. And now everybody's watching them, right? So you guys go ahead and bow down. And, and, and listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 15. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Oh, that's a bad question, Nebby. <laughs> I don't think that's the question that you want to be asking. Any despot that says, and who is the God that will deliver you? You'll find out. (laughs) Listen to their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Outright defiance. We will not bow. Go ahead and throw us in the fire. Either God's going to deliver us or we're going to be cooked. Now, of course, you know the story. They didn't get cooked. They came out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Not one hair on their head was singed. And just so you know, my hair singes. (laughs) People are like, Shadrach. (laughs) Inside joke. I guess you didn't get it. We'll just move on. So 
When Pharaoh commanded all the Egyptian midwives to put the newborn Hebrew babies to death, they disobeyed. Why? Because preserving life is a higher morality than taking life. Isn't that, a, like, that sounds like a common uh, argument today? Reproductive health care. If you, as Christians, fight against reproductive health care, you mongrels. And you're saying, wait, we want to fight for the life of the baby in the womb. Well, that's none of your business. You stay out of it. And we say, no, we're not going to stay out of it. Well, then we'll throw you in jail. Okay, throw us in jail. You better build some more jails. Because there's not going to be enough room for all of us. Well, we'll kill some of you. Okay, then we go to heaven. We win. (laughs) What do you do with people like that? This Paul was always driving everybody nuts. Like, we'll kill you. This is, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Ah, what are we telling now? <laughs> well, shave your head. That's right, I didn't like that hair anyways. <laughs> you know, it's like they threaten, but what can they do? They, well, it could hurt. Okay, I get that. But what can they do? They could take away all my stuff. And, well, then I won't have any stuff. And, is this earth your home? Heaven's my home, is it not? That's what I'm living for. That's what you should be living for. So the midwives, they feared God, Exodus 1:17, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Listen, the, the people today arguing for reproductive health care. It's a right. We should be able, let's just say it the way it really is. We should be able to kill a baby within the womb. We want to go out and have all the sex we want. And if we get pregnant, instead of raising a child, which would be the right and responsible thing to do, we just want to kill it. And we don't want you standing in the way. So you be quiet, you racist, bigot, homophobes, while we go and kill our children. Now you say, wow, that's pretty harsh. I'm just saying it the way it really is. And I'm speaking to those people who know what they're doing. I'm I'm not talking about the people that are blind and and really believe it's just a blob of tissue. And I'm not talking about the people that regret their abortions or any such thing. I'm talking about those that are legislating this sort of stuff. California, for example, that says, hey, we'll fly you here and you can have an abortion here. Instead of one of those repressive, oppressive states where you can't, come on over here and we'll take care of it. The taxpayers of California will fund it for you. I know, I'm sorry. Am I making, am I, am I making you mad? <laughs> I'm a little mad. Esther disobeyed a royal command to not enter the king's presence unless called to so that she could save the lives of Jews. Mordecai told her in Esther chapter 4, verse 13, do not think in your heart you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God brought Esther to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise and I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Look at her response. Okay, I'm gonna go. And if I die, I die. Of course, she didn't die. 
She went in before the king. He raised his scepter, which was a sign of let her come in. Otherwise, they would have struck her dead right there. She came in. She told the king, hey, can I make dinner for you? Right? She didn't immediately tell him what the, what the plan of wicked Haman was. She kind of got him sugared or buttered up a little bit. And then she let him know the plan against all the Jews. And the gallows that Haman made for the Jews, he was hanged on. Isn't that great? God intervenes. And how do you know whether God will intervene? All we see is the evil coming against us. All we see is the decree. All we see is the lie. We don't see how God is going to deliver us through that or what God will do in spite of that. Because does God always deliver his people out of? No. Sometimes he delivers them through and sometimes they go home to be with him, which is far better. Which is far better. And we may or may not face that in this country, but we need to be ready because this year is going to be a year where you're going and I'm going to be challenged to be quiet like never before. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. If you weren't such a threat, why is there so much threatening going on? Think about it. If you're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness, why is there so much threatening happening right now? Hmm? Don't go and vote. It's, it's rigged. There's no way you could win. Yeah, just stay home. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian and you go vote, you're getting involved in politics, and that's against the, that's against the Bible. <laughs> like, it's such a weak-minded argument. If, if you go and, oh, okay, so Will, William, Will, Will, if I can't say his name, that's all, folks. William Wilbersforth, is that how you say it? If he had sat back and said, yeah, we're just, we can't stop slavery, just let it go, Right? What if our founding fathers had sat back and said, ah, we'll just, we'll just let it go? What if Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had just sat back and Esther and just said, ah, we'll, we don't want to offend. It's not our place. We're not supposed to get involved. Do you see that in any place in Scripture? Not one. And I know I'm probably mostly preaching to the choir. But it's also a reminder that when the enemy comes and says, you better be quiet you're racist, then you won't sit back and go, oh my gosh, I'm racist. I better not tell people Jesus loves them. They're homophobic if you say that Jesus loves people or whatever the lie might be. Are you gonna sit back and be quiet? If Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had sat back and said, we must obey government no matter what, they would have been in violation of what Romans 13 is really all about. You're saying, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to just obey the government? Well, I'm glad you brought it up. Turn to Romans 13 and let's have a look for ourselves. Let's see if we can discover in this verse the context of what it's talking about. Verse one, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Is that all there is in Romans 13? Is there not more verses there? Can you tell me, do you see more verses there? Do you see a verse two? Do you see that? Do you see a verse three? Do you see that? I want to make sure I'm not crazy before we move on. It doesn't stop there, does it? It says there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Oh, okay, so Paul, what is the reason that this authority given by God exists? Glad you asked. Look at verse two. Therefore, whoever risks 
resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to what kind of works? Evil, except in the state of California. You can go rob a store if you want. I mean, if you need something from Rite Aid, just go take it. Now, I'm not advocating that you would actually go steal, but that's exactly what's happening, is it not? Is the government doing anything about it? Uh, I heard, and I can't believe this is true, uh, you can't believe everything that you hear or read these days. I think there's even coming a time where you're not even going to be able to believe everything you see because of AI. But I saw that in, uh, in one area, they want to pay criminals not to shoot people. If I was a criminal, I'd be like, oh, I was thinking of shooting everybody. How much are you going to pay me? How much money do I get for not shooting people? Are you kidding me? The same people that, oh, no, guns kill people. Don't kill people. We'll pay you. It's like everything's upside down and backwards. So let's see if we can discover what this is all about. Okay. Governing authorities are in authority because God has placed them there. We agree on that, correct? What is the realm of their authority? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Physical. We're speaking the physical world. Are you following? So therefore, that authority and their ability to punish evil is in the physical realm. They're not supposed to be a terror to good works, which means that if they become a terror to good works, things have changed. Are you following me? Whoever resists the authority that God has ordained resists that authority. They will bring judgment on themselves. Where does that judgment exist? In the physical or in the spiritual? In the physical. If you speed down the street here, I think it's 40 or 45 miles an hour in front of the church, right? If you come down at 100 miles an hour and Chino PD is sitting out there and they pull you over and you get a ticket and you get your license uh, suspended because you're going too fast and you get a fine, whatever, you have received the judgment due for your penalty. Do you understand? Are you following me? I don't know, I don't think when you get to heaven... God's going to judge you, well, not as a believer, as an unbeliever. I don't think unbelievers are going to be judged on their speeding ticket, okay? I think they're going to be judged on breaking God's laws, God's laws, the Ten Commandments, right? And so those, some of those other laws, they're just meant to keep people safe. I mean, if no one was ever around, could you do 75 out there? Yeah, I mean, nobody's ever around. There's no buildings, there's just a dirt road, and you want to do 75, go for it, right? Remember the time when nobody used to wear seatbelts? So those of you that are old enough to remember that, <laughs> and you didn't wear a seatbelt, there's no problem. Now you don't wear a seatbelt, you get a ticket. You could say, well, it's my life. If I don't want to wear a seatbelt, and they say, well, that's against the law for you to not wear a seatbelt. So if you drive down the street and you're not wearing a seatbelt, you think God in, in eternity is like, that's it. Man, when they get here, they're done. <laughs> not wearing that seatbelt. You see, the laws that exist are meant mostly to keep us safe, Right? And keep people from harming each other. What happens though when the government goes rogue and begins to make edicts or laws or whatever that violate the laws of God? We obey God over man. So the qualification of the types of laws we are to obey are laws that are good and morally upright. Now, 
This expositor, in commenting on this verse, says, Paul could admonish only Christians. What he requires is submission, a term that calls for placing oneself under someone else. Here and in verse 5, he seems to avoid using a stronger word, obey, And the reason is that the believer may find it impossible to comply with every demand of the government. A circumstance may arise in which he must choose between obeying God and obeying men. This is the issue. This is what we're talking about. I'm not talking about just disobeying everything the government does. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about very limited and specific things. When it violates what I'm called to do as a Christian. Now... In his book, Politics According to the Bible, Wayne Grudem writes, I am convinced after studying the historical situation and the principles of scripture that the American Revolution was morally justified in the sight of God. The reason that a number of early Americans thought it was justified to rebel against the British monarchy is that it is morally right for a lower government official to protect its citizens in his care from a higher official who is committing crimes against the citizens. This thinking in Protestant circles goes back as far as John Calvin. In his Institutes of Christian Religion, 1559, he argued as follows about magistrates or lower government officials. If they are now any magistrates of the people appointed to restrain the willfulness of kings, if they wink at kings who violently fall upon and assault the lowly common folk, I declare that they dishonestly betray the freedom of the people of which they now, uh, excuse me, know that they have been appointed protectors by God's ordinance. Do you see that the government is supposed to look out for the people and look out for the well-being of people and rule in a way that people can live with each other in harmony and in peace. But when a government is doing things that violate, assault, or kill, or hurt people, then something has to be done. First Peter 2.13, we're told, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, listen to this, that by doing good, you may what? Put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That you, by doing good, may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or to sin, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Not to mention that we're to pray for our our leaders, which we should be doing regularly. So the form of government that exists is given and established by God. Question, what kind of government do we have in the United States? A republic. Let me explain through definition what a republic is. A state in which supreme power is held by the people. Look around you. You are the government. Don't believe what you're told from Washington or from California that they're the government and you're the peasants and you be quiet and you do what they say and you better not and you better, you know, whatever it is that they're telling you to do that's contrary to the word of God. They are elected and nominated rather than a monarch. We have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And I don't know why Christians refuse to believe this They just like look at someone and say, okay, we're just supposed to do whatever they say, no matter what. 
So as a rule of thumb, we obey the government until the government oversteps and writes a law that mandates we disobey God or legislates the disobedience of God's law. Like when they said, everybody stay in your house and nobody's allowed to go outside. Remember that? And then our pastor shortly thereafter said, you know what, we're opening the church back up. Why? What was the justification? Hebrews 10.25, not to forsake the gathering of the saints. There's no clause in there. It doesn't say you can disobey that if somebody makes a virus, a man-made virus, sends it out, tries to kill a whole bunch of people, and then, but that's not what happened, is it? I mean, they're already telling us that there's this, this new virus that could come out and its fatality is 100%. And I'm like, well, then why are you making it? It's going to kill 100% of the people that contract it. Now you can say, oh my gosh, I'm staying in my house. I'm never going outside. Well, that's a death sentence too, because how long can you live before you need like more milk and eggs or, right? Oh, have Amazon bring it by people. No, they'll fly a drone that was sent into the air by people. The cow is going to come to my house. I have a ranch, I have cows, and I have, you know, okay, you have it all. You live in Southern California? Yeah, where do you get your water? Well, it's piped in. <laughs> you see, there's just no way around it, right? So the government said, hey, you better stay shut. And then they said, uh, you, you better shut down. They started threatening, you better shut that church down. And we just kept doing church, right? And people were calling up and they're saying, I can't believe how unloving you guys are. And I was like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Yeah, you guys are so unloving. Wait, what are you talking You're disobeying the government. The government said shut down. We're like, no, our local government said that we could be open. Did you know that? Yeah, local government and our county said, yeah, go ahead and open. We don't care. I mean, they may not have said it exactly like that. That's my interpretation. <laughs> and then the state said, you as a county, you better tell them. And the county said, no. They said, we'll take your money. You're already taking it. <laughs> How much more could you take? We'll take all of it. You're already taking all of it. That's the kind of thing, right? So we said, no, we're going we're gonna to open and we're going to do what God says above and beyond what man says because that's exactly what we ought to do. Acts 5.29 says we ought to obey God rather than man. Prayer is a, <laughs> prayer is a threat to the kingdom of God and they were, they were just like, we're going to get Daniel to stop praying. He's effective when he prays. The Bible says in James 5.16 that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's great value to prayer. Prayer is one of the things that ties all the weaponry together in Ephesians. In 2 Corinthians 10.3, we're told, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now let's see the result of the rebellion. Daniel chapter six, verse 12. So after they catch Daniel praying, they run straight to King Darius and I love the question they ask him in verse 12. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? 
The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. By the way, King Darius is completely oblivious to what's going on. We're going to find out how so. So they answered and said, oh, that Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, who does not show due regard to you, O king, or for the decree you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And look at how the king responds. When he hears this, he's greatly displeased with himself. He should be, because he listened to these knuckleheads. All of the governors are in agreement. No, they weren't. Daniel wasn't. Now he's bummed with himself. And he set it on his heart to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statue which the king establishes may be changed. They're not kissing up now, are they? They're like, we got the law on our side. And there's nothing you can do about it. So then what does King Darius do? He gives the command, verse 16, they bring Daniel, they cast him into the den of lions, but he spoke to Daniel and he said, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now Darius is rooting for him. (laughs) Come on, Daniel, your God can, don't be sad, your God will deliver you. I don't think Daniel was sad. He was like, well, if I die by the lions, I'll die by the lions or the Lord's going to shut their mouths and I'm going to have a great night hanging out with lions. I don't think he was worried about it. Darius was come on, Daniel, you can do it, right? You can just see him. You guys, all right, no, just, he's like so upset over this, right? So he went to his palace that night, verse 18, and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him and his sleep went from him. And then early the king arose in the morning and he went in haste to the den of lions. So I would imagine if there was a time clock for how long Daniel had to be in there, Darius, Darius set a stop clock to it all night long, just watching it, right? And then, ding, he's like, that's it. Let's go get him out. So he runs down, and look at the question he asks him. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel answered and said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. Notice He's innocent before God. He disobeyed a direct edict, but he's innocent before God. So, I have done no wrong before you. Verse 23, the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded that he should be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him because he believed his God. Wow, this is amazing. Well, but maybe the lions weren't that hungry. Maybe they were like old lions, Maybe they couldn't see very well. Let's see the tyrants in in verse 24. The king gave the command. They brought those men who accused Daniel. They cast him into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Well, I don't know. You tell me. Those lions seem pretty spry to me. I don't know how many people that was, but they broke all their bones before they got to the bottom of the den. They could see just fine. Seems to me they had all the strength and energy they could have torn Daniel apart, but they didn't because God sent and shut their mouths. Now look at what he does. King Darius, that is, in verse 25. He writes, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every kingdom 
of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he who works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Artaxerxes is dead, Nebuchadnezzar's dead, Alexander the Great's dead, the emperors of Rome are dead, but the God of heaven sits on his throne, exalted, high and lifted up. The kingdoms of this world are gone. The kingdoms that exist now will come under his reign. Every knee someday will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father in heaven. Just remember that. This earth is not our home. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's true of every one of us. As we stand, as we speak, as we proclaim, whatever it is that God's calling each and every one of you to do in every facet and area of your life, God is not ashamed to be called your God. And he would look down and he would say, that's my kid. Look at him standing up. Aren't you proud of your children when they do something, especially when they stand up for what's right? I'll never forget the first time uh, my sons got a job. They were working at Estate of Brothers and someone said, hey, you want to go drink? We're going to go drink in the parking lot after work. And he said, no. Why would I do that? They didn't come home to brag. They didn't even think about this. Came home and said, yeah, it's really weird. This guy asked. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, as a dad, I was like, little tear was coming. I was like, man, I'm so proud of you for doing that, you know? I think that's exactly what God does. When, when we make a stand for what's right, when you stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, when you defend the defenseless, when you're a father to the fatherless, I think God in heaven is pleased and he's not ashamed to be called your God. In closing, I want you to know that a moment of decision is coming for all of us. I believe that this year will test men's souls in a way that no year previously ever has. Whether that moment is to proclaim the truth before rulers or family members, a moment that will test whether you will say, I, I will pray, I will not bow, I will proclaim, I will stand. It's a moment that will test our faith. And just as Hebrews 11.35 goes on to say, it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. You should underline this part, of whom the world was not worthy. Brothers and sisters, the time for us is now. Our time is now. And I'm not saying that means you're going to be physically persecuted, that you're going to be sawn into. What I'm saying is, is that the temptation for you just to be quiet is going to be greater than you've ever faced before. And now is not a time for silence. Now is not a time for timidity. 
Now is not a time to be weak-hearted. 1 Peter 3.13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason or the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, and they will be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The key to suffering is by doing good. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They have to stand before God for those things that they do. For our governor, unless he repents and receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he is guilty of a lot of bloodshed. And the Lord will not acquit him. People who say they're Christians and live to kill people are not Christians. Just understand, just because someone says they're a Christian does not make them a Christian. You understand? Look at what people do. Watch what they do. Listen to what they say. They cannot legislate and promote evil while being a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. We began to read this in the beginning. Let me read the rest to you. Matthew 10, 24, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, you've been born for such a time as this. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I commission your saints as they go out of this place to live in that balance between heaven and earth, between eternity and now. Lord, that we would live in such a way that we live and obey the laws of the land in such a way that there isn't something that someone could find against any one of us. Not a parking ticket, not a speeding ticket, not tax evasion, not anything. The only way that they're going to catch us is if they make a law against our God. Lord, may we join in the ranks of those faithful that have gone before us. And Lord, may we stand when we need to stand. May we speak when we need to speak. Lord, may we bow when we need to bow. May we pray when we need to pray. Lord, help us to always be and do what we should be when you expect it. May we worship you above all. We surrender this day to you. And Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you peace.